Second Timothy chapter 1, just one verse for a catechism lesson, and then if you would go to page 869 in the back of the red, we'll read a couple of answers together. Question and answer 2 and 3. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, to Timothy. He says these words. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. The grass withers, and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Then page 869 in the red hymnal, the shorter catechism. Question and answer two and three. Let's consider these things together. We'll read the answers with one voice. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Considered that first question last last week, the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Just having a chat with Reverend Madney, who was able to be here tonight. He pointed out. I went last week. I, I talked about how this was sort of a hundred years after the Heidelberg Catechism. He reminded me that, of course, Calvin had those first that first phrase, "Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever," at the beginning of of his catechism. So as indeed is true in our tradition, all, all roads lead to Calvin, and we get there eventually. So if it is our calling to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, and that's universal. If you are created, if you're a human being, your greatest end, the, the end for which you were created, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Well, the natural question arises, how How do you glorify God? And how do you enjoy Him forever? It's the right question. Someone might say, well, I glorify God and I really enjoy Him by playing golf every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's how I glorify and enjoy God. And if there is no rule, if there's no standard, how do you uh, rebut that claim? And that's a claim that's, that's been tried, right? I've gotten that one before. Sunday morning church time is, is golf time, and that's why someone can't come to church. Perhaps a bit more serious, go back about 19 years when our country was rocked, September 11th, 2001. If you think about it, the men who flew those planes into uh, the Twin Towers in New York, 
they were saying that their purpose was to glorify and enjoy God. And that was why they were doing what they were doing. Radical uh, religious fanatics all throughout the world will make that claim. That this is how they glorify their God. Or this is what glorifies God. This is how they will seek to enjoy Him. What stands out is that we need a rule, a standard. How is God glorified? How is God enjoyed? How do we pursue His glory? And how do we seek to enjoy Him in the midst of pursuing that glory? And of course, there's one standard, there's one rule that God has given to us, and that is His Word. To have many different standards would create chaos. But God says you'll find it all in the word that I give to you, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So that creates the centralized standard of how we pursue this end that we are all called to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So we'll consider a couple things tonight. First, the character of scripture. What are attributes of scripture that highlight that it is the standard by which we glorify and enjoy God? Well, first, Scripture is authoritative, isn't it? It's authoritative. Why? Because it's not the words of men. It is the word of God. And if God speaks to his people in the context of a a canon of Scripture, then everything he says is authoritative and binding on his people. 1 John chapter 5 says, If we receive the testimony of men, which we all do at various times, we receive the testimony of men in various walks of life, both inside the church and outside of the church. We receive the testimony of men. The testimony of God is greater. He does not lie. He is in a perpetual position of authority over us. All of his words are pure and life-giving. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, He's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul says, I proclaim something to you. And because of your faith in who I am as an apostle sent of the Lord, you received it as God's word. And what Paul is saying there, what's implied is that The Thessalonians received this as an absolutely binding word of authority. I'll say later in 2 Timothy, of course, a very famous passage, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's theopneustos, God breathed. There you, we have the image even of the spirit, the, the spirit's role in giving the scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God. And all scripture is profitable. It's useful, right, for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, if the Bible is God's word, then it is absolutely authoritative over our lives. Second, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. Had a sermon on the sufficiency of Scripture a few weeks back. We'll rehash some of those ideas now. All that we need to live for God is found in His word. For you to be equipped to live for God and his glory, to glorify him, to know him in his grace, to serve him, 
All that you need to do that and to do that well and fully is found in the scriptures. Second Peter chapter 1. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And that's a comfort to us, right? That we, we don't have to go to uh, the bookstore and find the, the latest Christian publication, the, the newest fad, and say, this is, this is something that I absolutely need. There may be many useful things written by men or women, but... God has given us all things that we need for life and for godliness in his word. If scripture is sufficient, then as God's people seeking to live for him, we need not, and indeed we cannot, go beyond scripture to command things for people to do in their lives. So various things, we see this pop up all over in various traditions. If scripture is authoritative and it's sufficient, then to create commands that go beyond the word of God is wrong. The commandments, for instance, to not eat meat on Fridays, a couple parts of the Christian tradition or Christendom that observe that as somewhat of a binding commandment. Maybe I've shared this story with you before, but I was in a sandwich shop the first Friday during Lent, and one of the firemen in town, without thinking of it, ordered some meat that he wasn't supposed to eat and he was he was quite distraught about it and I you know didn't want to overstep my bounds I almost wanted to tell him you know um, you can't point to anywhere in scripture where you can say that that's a sin in fact Paul says very clear things that say it's not a sin to do something like that Um, and indeed we need to be careful of that we need to be careful of how we maybe perhaps do that in our own lives Now take this as an example. God has commanded us to observe and to keep the Sabbath. That is a binding commandment. And we need to seek to do that and to do that well. To keep the Sabbath and to set aside this day as a day of the Lord. A day to worship Him and and to not be consumed primarily with earthly cares. But over the course of years and decades perhaps things uh, become so assumed that, well, this is the way that we do things on the Lord's Day, and perhaps rules get a little bit too restrictive. And the danger in that is that if it's discovered then, well, there's, there's really no backing for a particular thing in Scripture, then that can erode confidence in the faith overall. Many things may be wise. And right? someone may say, well, I've decided in God's wisdom that he's granted to me, that if I engage in this thing on Sunday, it takes away from my focus on the Lord. And so in wisdom, it's good to seek to observe the Sabbath day that that way. But we need to be careful about that and make sure that we have a a difference between doing what is wise and perhaps good and what God has clearly commanded in his word. One of the things that can happen with that is when uh, we go beyond the word of God and then as God's people we disagree about that. Well, I believe this is binding. And someone else says, well, I believe this isn't binding. There's often disagreement and then there's disunity among God's people and fracturing among God's people. And that's exactly what the devil wants. So we need to be careful about that. Scripture is sufficient and we need to understand that if that's true, We can't go beyond the bounds of Scripture. 
Scripture is understandable. This is a very important point. Scripture is understandable. God has revealed his word so that people can understand it. There's no key doctrine of the gospel that an average person cannot understand with effort and diligence. Understanding that we need to be saved from our sin. And understanding that Jesus Christ is our Savior from sin. God has not hidden those things from the world. He's revealed them clearly. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It cannot be such unless it is understandable. It lights our way. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. God's word is understandable. It's a blessing to be reminded of that. God's word is pure. It's not mixed with error. It's not mixed with anything deceitful. It's not mixed with anything harmful. It is pure. Purer than the purest metal. Psalm 12, verse 6. Words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground. Purified seven times. The purest uh, rare metals like that that you'll find. They'll always say... 99.999999% pure. God's word is absolutely 100% pure. Psalm 19, verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is soul healing. It's a source of spiritual life. It feeds us. We read God's word. The spirit is working as we read in faith to nourish us. Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Psalm 119, 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. It builds me up. It gives me life. Here's something I'd like to focus on for a little while. God's word is never self-contradictory. It never contradicts itself. It is consistent. God's word is consistent and thus the way we arrive at a deeper understanding of the spiritual things or when we are confronted with a passage that we don't clearly understand, we interpret that passage in light of other passages because scripture never contradicts itself. Scripture will never disagree with itself. And so we have greater understanding of all the scriptures by knowing them and weighing them against each other. This is exactly what uh, the leaders in the church did in Acts chapter 15. They're trying to to interpret this this new age, this new age of the gospel, where the gospel is going forth to the Gentile nations, and many are turning to Christ and believing in him and coming into the church. And the Jewish believers are trying to make sense of all of this. And they make sense of it by going to Amos 9, which says that uh, the one who comes as the the, key of Dave, uh, the king of David, right? The David's son will come and he will bring light to the nations. He will create a people that reaches to the ends of the earth. So they interpret what's going on in light of, of other passages. The Bereans in Acts 17 were commended for testing everything according to scripture, knowing what God's word said and making sure that everything was balanced carefully. Jesus did this when he was tempted by Satan, didn't he? Satan says, throw yourself down. God's promised you in Psalm 91 that no harm will come to you. Jesus says, it's also written, 
that you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. You shall not put the Lord thy God to the test. Jesus tells Satan that he has misunderstood Scripture because he has not understood it in light of the whole. We think about this in light of 2 Timothy chapter 1. If Scripture is consistent, if it doesn't contradict itself, then what emerges is a form or a pattern of sound words. There's consistency in Scripture, and it becomes a form or a pattern. And we are to hold to this form. This is what Paul says to Timothy. This is the basic instinct of confessions and catechisms, that we can build a a system of doctrine by which we can have a, a greater understanding of the whole of the Christian religion. And we codify it and put it down on paper in confessions and catechisms. And that helps us understand the whole sweep of Scripture. And we can, we can uh, make sense of the whole. For instance, all throughout, scriptures, there, all throughout the Scriptures, there is this unfolding of the covenant of grace. You have this, this plan of God's redemption from beginning to end, from Genesis 3 unto the book of Revelation. We have the consistent uh, picture, form, or pattern that God's people are to be a purified people. They are to be a city set on a hill. They are to have a a particular way of life distinct from those who do not know this God. There's a consistent setting forth that human beings have a coming judgment, that they will stand before their creator at the last day. All of those things coalesce to create this form or pattern that gives shape to our faith and gives shape to the Christian life. Finally, Scripture is necessary. Scripture is necessary. Without Scripture, we would not arrive at a saving knowledge of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, We have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter says something more sure than the testimony of men is God's word and that word can light your way unto salvation. Indeed, you must have the word of God to light your way unto salvation. Paul says, how are they to believe unless they hear the word preached in Romans 10? In 2 Timothy 3, Paul says to Timothy, From childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are necessary. We cannot live the Christian life without them. So if scripture is all of those things, then what about the scope of scripture? The scope of scripture. And that third question, what do the scriptures teach? Well, principally two things. What we are to believe concerning God and what God requires of us. The scripture principally teaches us two things. Things to believe and things to obey. Things to believe and things to obey. In other words, we are taught faith and obedience. Faith and obedience are the foundation of true Christianity. Thomas Boston says this, There is no true faith but what is followed by obedience, and no true obedience except that which flows from faith. So we see the centrality of these two things, but we also need to understand the relationship between these two things. What's the relationship between faith 
and obedience. Because you need to understand that. If obedience gives rise to faith, then our picture of the Christian life would be much different. But that's not the way the Christian life is, is it? No. We believe, and then out of that true faith, God gives us fruit in our lives, and obedience comes forth. So faith is the foundation of obedience. Titus 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Those who have believed then devote themselves themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. In Romans chapter 1, And in Romans chapter 16, so the beginning of Romans and the end of Romans, Paul says that he has been appointed by God to teach the gospel to bring about this this little phrase, this marvelous little phrase, the obedience of faith. In other words, this is an obedience that springs forth from faith. Reminding us again, there is no true faith except what is followed by obedience and no true obedience but that which flows from faith faith. So works without faith are dead, but faith without works is dead. We read in scripture, whatever does not flow from faith is sin. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to be united to our Savior by faith. But, Jesus also says, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You have both faith and obedience held up. We need to understand the relationship between the two, but both are so vital to the Christian faith. Well, a couple of thoughts then tonight as we close, a couple of applications um, that we can make. Thinking about the, the importance of scripture the centrality of scripture as the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy god it's important to remind ourselves that we can only have true understanding of the scriptures if the spirit gives us that understanding so we need to seek God, to seek the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's illumination to give us that true understanding of the Scriptures. We cannot arrive at a true understanding of the Scriptures uh, in and of ourselves. We need to understand a couple of things. We use our reason, we use our minds, that which God has given to us. We read the words. But to understand them in some sense of the true depth of them only can be given by the Spirit. And so we need to humbly approach God and ask for that understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, that is the man apart from the work of the Spirit, cannot understand the things of God. This is why the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. John Calvin says this, Scripture does not come from men, nor does it grow in men's gardens. The interpretation of Scripture belongs not to creatures, but to the Holy Spirit, who makes its teachings known to us. So since Scripture is so important, and since we need the help of the Spirit to truly understand, we must go to God humbly 
and fervently asking for an understanding of the scriptures. This also means that only the Spirit of God giving to his people the meaning of the scriptures can settle controversies of the faith. There are different traditions who say, whatever a council says, we must obey it. Whatever someone occupying a certain position says, we must obey it, even if it seems to contradict scripture. So the Reformation broke with this tradition, and they weighed the councils of the history of the church against scripture. They said, well, this council erred when they said this, because clearly scripture teaches something else. And so we need to understand that it's the spirit of God. Councils and synods, though they are to be weighed with reverence, cannot be the ultimate judge of religion. It must be the Spirit of God. But this also means, as I said before, that it's not human reason alone. Oftentimes, Protestants can be accused of that. Well, you guys just, you say it's all your reason, and then it it comes down to every individual's interpretation. Well, no, that's not what we say. It's the Holy Spirit giving meaning. And so the heart that we need to have is one of humble faith and reliance upon the Holy Spirit to give the meaning of the scriptures. Next, if all of that is true, we must diligently search the scriptures. We must diligently read them. We must be diligent and faithful to sit under the preaching of them, all while while seeking the Spirit's guidance. Only the Spirit can give true understanding, but the Holy Spirit uses the means given to God's people to to give that understanding. So reading the Bible, listening to the preaching of the Word in the context of the church. God is a God of means, and He uses those means to give us understanding. Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 119, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Psalm 119, verse 34, give me understanding. You see, the heart of the psalmist there is, God, you need to give me understanding. You need to grant understanding to me so that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So we must diligently search the scriptures. We must be people of the word of God. And then lastly, uh, true Christianity is, is practical. It's a faith that invades our lives. It's a faith that marks every area and every facet of our lives. And faith and obedience, the relationship between the two, and understanding the vital connection between the two. One more uh, passage from Psalm 119. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So first, you have a a beautiful three-pronged assertion in that little passage. First, God has commanded that his precepts would be kept diligently. When God speaks, he means it. And when he gives us his word, he expects that we would seek out an understanding of it. 
God is not joking around when he speaks to us. Secondly, the heart of the one who joyfully submits to God seeks that his or her ways would be steadfast in the keeping of them. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. God, if you mean it, I want to listen and I want to obey. I want to live the way that you have called me to live. And then lastly, then I shall not be put to shame. Where is comfort found in the Christian life? How can we know that when Jesus shows up again, how can we know that we will be doing the right thing? We will be doing the right thing if our eyes are fixed on the law of God. That man is blessed who, fearing God from sin restrains his feet. May we be found trusting Christ, knowing that we're not perfect, but may we be found trusting Christ and seeking to glorify God in all of these ways, to have a heart that says, I want to be steadfast in keeping your statutes. I know that you're not joking when you speak to me, God. And then we shall not be put to shame with our eyes fixed on all that he says. Amen. Let's pray. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the opportunity to look at your word one more time this, uh, this evening. We pray that you would be with us this week. We would uh, seek you in all things and that we would go to your word diligently and that we would seek uh, your blessing through it. We pray that you would grant your spirit uh, to give us understanding, that we would then have a true understanding of these scriptures uh, that you give to us. Thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Go to number one in uh, the blue salter.